0: You're joining Molly and Jody as we talk with folks about creativity in Plains Country. What it is and why it matters that we're here doing it. And this is Place Well Tended. Welcome. Today we have Chef Kim Braveheart with us. Kim is a member of the Oglala Lakota Nation of the Pine Ridge Indian Reserve in South Dakota, a renowned chef with entrepreneurial expertise, and we are just thrilled to welcome you to the podcast today. Kim, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here with all of you. Kim, can you tell us just a little bit, um, gosh, about the beginnings of your journey as a chef, you know, Having the business of Chef Braveheart, how that has led to where you are now? Sure. I have always loved cooking. I started cooking at a very young age
1: and um, partly out of just straight survival, but also I feel like I learned I'm Lakota and Jewish, and food is a language and a love language. And mm-hmm. I love the way it felt when someone else prepared for me food and it, like. They, I could tell when someone put in effort, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. pretty young. And I love sharing that with others. Even at like age 10, I was already doing dinner parties for my dad um, and making the table all beautiful and everything like that. And my dad did not want me to be a chef. That's actually why I didn't go to culinary school. I just kept doing it. And then when I moved home, when I moved back to South Dakota when I was 24, I was really into, I had been living in Atlanta and actually working with the Indigo Girls. And um, I had learned so much about just like vegetables and fruit and um, healthy ways of preparing it, but like interesting ways mm-hmm. that felt exciting and delicious. Um, you know, out here or on my home reservation, it is very much a food desert. And so many, many things are come out of a box. Um, are pre-prepared in some way or a can and they don't have a lot of access to healthy fruits and vegetables or even like an in- innovative ways to eat them mm-hmm. and so when I first moved home I was just really preparing food for ceremonies for traditional just my people in my community and at first nobody wanted to eat it <laughs> <laughs> uh, even the and, and so i would convince people literally convince them you know try this it's really delicious and i had already been making all of my own like salad dressings and it wasn't you know hidden valley ranch or whatever and so people thought that it was kind of crazy and then people started eating it cuz it's very beautiful you know when you see fresh vegetables you're like wow that's gorgeous and i started eating it and people loved it and it started mm-hmm. And for me, I was like, in, in that root of our traditional ceremonies, why are we not eating like our sacred foods?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that was really significant to me because I grew up where my mother and my brother, my older brother and my aunties were teaching me about traditional foods and why we eat them. Mm-hmm. And it was surprising mm-hmm. to me as an adult that we were not still doing that. And it really resonated with me because I wanted, at that point in my life, I really wanted to be a mother. And so I was really learning about culture and how food and medicine and ceremonies and spirituality are all connected. And so I started doing more and more events in the community, really just in people's kitchens, nothing fancy at all. But I had a real passion for it. And I had been developing another business at the time, which is a small business development firm, and I was helping all these other people start their businesses, their brick and mortars, um, dream making, helping their dreams come reality. And I kept having this like ache, you know, in the back of my uh, of my head that I really wanted um, to start something new. So five years ago, yeah, it's five years ago. That's crazy. It doesn't feel like that, but five <laughs> years ago, I was married at the time, and we were going through some pretty heavy transitions. And for some reason, I don't know why, I decided in that complicated time that this would be a really good way to pivot. <laughs> and I built our my ex husband and his 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 buddy built my down downtown Rapid City private dining room. And my idea about building that space was that it wasn't a space, it wasn't just a space. It was like inviting you into my home and inviting you into my dining room. And it was a space where regardless of your race, your your economic standing, your education, or where you were from, that we could come to the table together as people and have conversations that connect Connected us. And that's what I love about food mm-hmm. and like the actual providing and serving of food is that I use that as a way to show non native people that we are a full culture of people and history and wisdom and um, values. And even the way that we serve someone is um and originally when i first started my business was called etiquette and everyone couldn't really understand why but in cult- in both of my jewish culture and Lakota culture there is an etiquette to preparing food there is a protocol and etiquette to serving food and who is served first and mm-hmm. all of those things mm-hmm. and that's originally why i wanted that name because you know people when they think of etiquette they think of like sitting properly at a table Red. But in us, like, you know, we, we follow the, the harvest calendar of like when, when are things at their prime? How do we preserve them? How do we make sure that we have them all winter long? And that's an etiquette to it, a, a protocol. Mm-hmm. And even when we're foraging, you know, putting out tobacco and putting out offerings. And, and then on the other end, when I'm inviting people in to um, my space, my private dining room, It's the art of hosting, you know, really welcoming and making people feel relaxed and the willingness to be a little more open-minded. And when I first started, I was incredibly intentional. Anytime I had a cooking class or a private dining pop-up there, um, I vetted the guests because I wanted it to be 50% 50 Native, 50% non-Native. And a lot of people don't know that, but I did that really intentionally because I knew from my own personality that, okay, this is going to sound sort of messed up, but like less threatening than a lot of, I think that a lot of people find, and that's on their own, there's their own stuff, but they they are afraid of Native people for whatever reason, their mm-hmm. own no- notions of mm-hmm. who we are, or how we are, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, at a pretty young age that people didn't have that interaction with me that way. And so I was like, Ooh, this is a way for me to mm-hmm. like go and share mm-hmm. about Lakota culture and Lakota people and how beautiful we are and strong and brilliant and successful and thriving and resilient and a non-intimidating way. Like not in a way that's like in your face, but in a way that felt like they could really see me
2: mm-hmm. like they could mm-hmm. see my
1: people. And they could see my culture, and I, I people made friends there because you know when you don't know how to like cross the bridge, you may not even have any what you feel is like apprehension or even tension or racism inside of you, but when you're at a table sitting across from another mom who has their kid in soccer and you guys are sharing a beautiful meal and you realize. Oh, this person is so much more similar to me than I had ever imagined. And friendships like true friendships came out of there, and it felt like magical. And people would say that like being in your space or at your dining room table felt like I I was at a different time, you know, a different space and time that it allowed me to like take off whatever weight I was carrying. And um, I missed that part. Um, I, I am going to reopen the dining room part, but because of COVID, I have a very tiny mm. space.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, because of COVID, I had not. I have not had people in my space in two years.
0: I was going to mm-hmm. ask if you have a brick and mortar space. Yeah, so you do. do, but mm-hmm. it's not open right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to do
1: um, a pop up on October 27th. And to the public so they can come, have a little bit of my magic pumpkin soup, Mm -hmm. see my space, you know, because people are like, I want your food. (laughs) I do so much private events, but it's hard for like the public to be able to eat eat my food. So Mm -hmm. I am going to be more intentional about having at least one public event a month.
2: Mm. I've had like just some waves of goosebumps listening to you talk here, just in this little... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 10 minutes here. I would love to come into your space. Um, and that's in Rapid City, right?
1: Yeah, downtown Rapid City, wow. 521 7th Street. Awesome. It has a black and white awning and it says Chef Braveheart on the window. And it, um, the idea behind it too was <clears throat> in college, I had spent a lot of time in Cuba, in Havana. And they have these private dining rooms in people's homes. They're like secret. Hmm. And it was... The most incredible experience because you know you're at basically a fine dining restaurant, but in someone's living room.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just thought this is incredible. And so when I had been wanting to build a space, I'm fully aware, my dad owned restaurants when I was a kid. I'm I, at the time of launching, I had a brand new baby and a mother of three. So I was not going to open a 50 seat restaurant mm-hmm. because I knew as a kid what that was like. And I knew that I, there was no way that I could do it and have the quality of life that I want wanted and also the mothering, the way that I wanted to mother. And so when I developed it, people thought I was like really crazy. And they're like, how are you going to ever make money? You know, you could make so much more money if you opened a big space. And I was like, I know, but you have to balance quality of life too. Mm-hmm. I hope that you come and
2: see it because it is, yeah. it's very beautiful. Oh, I would love to. I'm thinking of just about how intentional you were also and have been about how you want to live, how you want your life to look and feel. And that mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't look like what you would expect, like a, you know, place that feeds 50 people at a time, but just being very yeah. intentional.
1: I think that part of that is... Um, you know, the way that I cook is not like a fast restaurant, yeah. you know, I, because a lot of our items are foraged. A lot of our time, a lot, a lot mm-hmm. of our aim is feel harvested. It's intentionally a thoughtful process from the start to the end.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so when people are experiencing it, you can tell, they can tell, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's a, like my pumpkin soup. that will take me about a week to prepare for that because I will roast all of my pumpkins. I will roast all of the, um, squash. I will, and you can feel the, and I will make my stock for my own stock. You know, there's, I don't really take a lot of shortcuts because, um, I like the idea that food takes time. And for me, it's like a prayer. Every time I'm cooking, I am, I really do. I smudge before I begin mm-hmm. in a good space, and I have always been taught that you should never cook if you're angry or like you have bad feelings or you know ugly thoughts or anything like that because that impacts the people that consume it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I th- I think that's part of it too is that when p- the people realize like the specialness of it, and I don't know if that's a word, but <laughs> you know what I mean. They yeah. They- they realize that. Yeah.
0: It's interesting. So before you got on, Jody and I were just chit-chatting about different things and talking about relationship to food. And this was, in, we weren't even connecting this to you. And we were talking about the difficulty, um, in having a good relationship with food and the difficulty or the challenge in, um, helping our kids have a good relationship with food, right? Because I, I think for a lot of people, for Jody and I, and for a lot of folks, you were raised with, you eat what's put in front of you and you eat it all, um, you clean your plate, right? And I was still telling Jody, one of my sons had this real honest moment with me where he was like, when you tell me I have to eat, it makes me feel frustrated because I, I'm full or whatever, like I can't eat anymore. And I was like, oh, I'm putting you in tension with your body, by insisting that you eat this, right? And I think that's for your own good. And I'm just pairing that with what you're talking about and um, cooking with good feeling and, and with, you know, keeping mm-hmm. bad feeling out of preparation. Yeah, I would love to hear more about that and how you balance that with the cultural, what, or societal, I should say, sure. tendencies to put raised the same. You
1: know, I was raised, um, where you eat whatever is on your plate, you don't complain and you consume mm-hmm. it all, and almost like rushing too. Like it, it wasn't yeah. where I was like sitting down enjoying it. And I, and I do think that it has impacted my relationship with how I even consume food because, uh, you know, like on a weekend where I don't have my kids, someone's like, "Oh, what are you making for yourself?" And I'm like, what? <laughs> what <you> cereal. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like gonna eat popcorn. Fancy, you know, I might like melt some butter and truffle or something. But like, I'm pretty much gonna eat popcorn. Maybe a little bit of cheese. So I'm still working through it myself. But I do feel like, and I feel bad for saying this, but I do feel like I'm actually really good at it with my kids. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I recognize like that their tummies are very small. Mm -hmm. I use smaller plates. Yeah. Um. I make them very pretty. I do, and I know this is annoying to a lot of moms, but (laughs) I like make them bento boxes every day for lunch, and I cut up their strawberries. I do, you know, and I make it fun. And I realize that like their their tummy is pretty small, and Mm -hmm. so we've been taught that our tummy is like this big, Mm
2: -hmm. and it's not.
1: And so even us, like. I feel like there's this whole, I mean, we could go way deep into it, you know, of people don't realize like how much food waste that there is in this country and all this other stuff right? um, because we are like thinking our bellies are this big when they're this big, they're the size of our fist.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And um, I tell, I talk to my kids, like, how does this make you feel? Hmm. Um, I mean, like my son the other night, he asked me to make spaghetti and I make it. Like it's really, easy. I mean, it's very simple, but he literally started crying. He's sixteen, and I was like, "What's going on?" <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, it's "So good!" Like, <laughs> how, how do you make food like this? And I said, "How does it make you feel?" And he, and he like touched his heart, and he said, "It makes me feel like you love me so much." Mm-hmm. And I feel so cared for. Mm. And I think having conversations with your kids around food and how it actually makes you feel Mm. like my baby, she's five. I still Mm. call her my baby, but she's five. She rarely eats meat. And I asked her one day, I said, you know, why, why don't you eat meat? And she says, it hurts my stomach. Mm. It hurt. Like it literally hurts my tummy. And I was like, really? And she said, yeah, when I, I try, I try to eat all the Cause you know, as a chef, you're like, I want you to eat this, you know, Mm -hmm. but it really resonated with me and I'm like, okay. And so, and I, and we both, her and I both come to the conclusion, like Buffalo doesn't hurt her stomach, but having those conversations and willing to have those conversations, Mm -hmm. um, you know, are really important. I, I think also, Having your children involved in the kitchen from an early age um, so that they know what it goes into actually preparing the meal helps them have that experience of my 16-year-old son. Mm-hmm. He knew yeah. that I didn't just open a can, a jar, and throw it in the pan. He knew that I cut up every tomato. He helped me cut up the, um, I sous vide the garlic the day before. Like, so he he knew all those steps. And so, just like I told you, when someone is in my space and enjoying a meal there, they also realize um, they also realize that it's it's special. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that helps too. Is that and they they're more they're less likely to waste. They're more mm-hmm. likely to be involved and be excited about the meal. And they say, "Oh, make it pretty for me too." <laughs> because they want that special thing. And it doesn't, people are like, oh my God, she put so much effort into it. Yeah. Like, but why not? Because if you're going to just throw the food away anyways, and you're not, I mean, what's the point of cooking if you're not going to take like the extra five minutes, you know, and put a little piece of basil on there and a little bit of thing to just make it presentable? Because food, and I really feel this is, we've gone away from it, but food is, is not just, uh, active thing it it is an all sensory experience mm-hmm. you're you are smelling, you are seeing you are um, feeling you are you know consuming so it is a complete sensory experience and so we should allow ourselves to do that because I do think that if we really took the like took our dining room tables back hmm. I think that we would also there would be less obesity, less mm-hmm. diabetes. Um, I think there would be less disruption in families. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there would be, I know this sounds fair, like a lot, but less suicide for our young teenagers. Yeah. Um, because every night, you know, I cook at least four nights a week. It's my and that is my I'm not telling other mothers to do that, but I am saying at least four nights a week, I am preparing food. For them to eat in my home, not ordering pizza or something else. Mm -hmm. I'm a busy mom. You guys know how busy I am. It's taken us about a year. That's right. (laughs) Um, We've been (laughs) scheduling Um, you. Yeah. You know how busy I am, but in my schedule, my priority is to feed my children at least twice a day. Mm -hmm. Um, which means like not you know in the morning I make smoothies and they just consume them, but like having an actual lunch, having an actual dinner. And in those dinners, we don't allow technology and we have Mm -hmm. conversation. Yeah. Because for me, that food is the connector. That food is what brought us there. But it is our connection and our conversation and our respect for one another and our love for another that brings us, makes us a family. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, after my divorce... I really wanted a sense of um, stability and I didn't know how to do it. I, I, cause it felt, you know, our whole world just shifted and changed. And the first night, I mean, it was bad, like rough. Um, And a couple of friends came over to, you know, be supportive. And, but I still set the table. I still made them food and we all cried at that table. And they told me even the baby, what they were feeling, what was hurting, what they're looking forward to, mm-hmm. um, and I think that has that that intentionality has helped us heal through a lot of things, um, and you know that that's powerful to me. Uh, you know when when we make those things our priority,
2: mm-hmm. the table Uh, um, there's a sacred space. Yeah. My mom growing up dinner was at six and that was that what you just described is very much what I was brought up with that, that was that space that didn't, that didn't alter, you know, and that provided a stability. And as you know, as a kid growing up, you don't really realize that. For sure. But looking back, seeing how that provided some structure, it provided nourishment, it provided relationship.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, and my son, as he's gotten older, he's invited his friends to our table.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they're They're 16-year-old boys, but they are, mm-hmm. like, moved by it. And what I have realized is that everybody wants to be mothered. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't grow up with a mother, um, but everybody wants to be mothered. And that's kind of what I, how I see my food is mm-hmm. I may not be able to have a conversation with every single person who's eaten my food or consumed mm-hmm. it, but they can feel that I have intentionality and prayers for them, even if I don't know them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's really powerful.
0: If you were, um, which you you mentioned just the busyness of life and and that's everyone's life, right? So if you were to give families three tips, four tips, whatever, what would be the top things that you would tell someone um, in terms of creating that time and space? I think using Sundays, like Sunday afternoons
1: as mm-hmm. a way to prepare for the week, um, your refrigerator really like cutting up vegetables, washing vegetables, putting them in Tupperware, thinking about your meals for the week. I want to say this for single moms, really learn how to roast a chicken. That chicken can come into so many different meals throughout your week and it's cost effective. Mm -hmm. And so many people do not know how to roast a chicken and it's not that hard, but you can. So what I do a lot of times when I know I'm going to have a packed week Mm -hmm. I will roast chicken on that Sunday night. We'll have like chicken, it sounds intense, but like a little lemon butter sauce with a salad, Mm -hmm. just really simple. And then the next day I'll probably make like enchiladas, just shredded up enchiladas for the next one. Then the next one I'll use chicken, you know, the other cut up chicken for a chicken and pesto pasta. And then the next one I'll make the last bit of it. We'll do like a chicken noodle soup or a chicken casserole. Or something like that. And so thinking about how you can, you don't have to, I'm not telling you to make a, you know, a five, uh, you know, a plated tasting menu for your kids every night. But thinking about how you can have one thing over time. Another one would be like a big buffalo roast or another roast where you Mm can have sliders. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I make uh, this roasted uh, potatoes and carrots and then I put the roast on top. And different ways to do that is—that's how I think about it—is like mm-hmm. what is cost-effective, um, what is delicious, and still tastes really good. Mm-hmm. I think just thinking more. Um, a lot of times, people are like, "Why?" I'll just go, and you could even do it with a rotisserie chicken. Like, if mm-hmm. you're not, a, if you don't want to roast your own chicken, go spend the seven bucks, and you can even get spend twelve bucks and get an organic, you know, organic roast chicken. And same thing is like, they're delicious. They're cooked right. If you're, if you feel intimidated by that, use that first one, you know, again, chicken enchiladas, uh, chicken and pesto, other, other things so that you're still having healthy food. And I also try okay. to think of ways to incorporate vegetables um, that are delicious. Yeah. You know, I, I shred a lot of vegetables for like a meatloaf. I also put a lot of lentils and ground, anything ground. Um, So that there's also lentils, you know, um, if I'm using beef, but I use majorly buffalo. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then I think, so organizing, prepping, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it's also like feels good when you open your refrigerator and it's organized and you're like, oh, I can see all of my fruit in one area. Okay. I can see all of my vegetables in one area. And then I, I actually tell people to bring your fruit and vegetables into the main area and in your drawers, put in like your bubbly waters, yeah, bubbly waters or other things because people. Yeah, have,
0: you know what I said—that's what you I see. Mean,
1: you have to see it. You know, yeah. eating is a sensory experience, yeah. and so in mind, people are like, "How do you get your kids to eat healthy food?" They can open it. There's sliced apples. There's like last night, my baby ate an entire Tupperware of carrots, and um, I had been in a meeting. And I was like, what did you eat? She's like, oh, I just grabbed that Tupperware of carrots. And I said, do you eat the whole thing? <laughs> I ate the whole thing, <laughs> you know, because it's there. Yeah. You know, so it's visually there. And I actually put um, like the unhealthier food, like the chips and stuff in a basket they can't see. in. And, and so if my son really wants it, he'll get it. He but knows he where wants, it's at. He, he'll go to the refrigerator first. Mm-hmm. And so I think those are really big, important things. And think about what you actually enjoy cooking. Like if mm-hmm. they're, you know, I would say pr- try to get like three recipes under your belt where that feel like really good. And for those of you who don't cook, maybe do one meal a week and then add another,
2: you mm-hmm.
1: know, and, and then you'll realize that you're actually enjoying it mm-hmm. um, and include your kids in it. And I know people are like, oh my God, that seems so hard. But if you do some of the prepping on Sunday, it's really not that hard. Right. My five-year-old makes our salad every night. You know, she like literally ha- puts up her thing and, oh, all the carrots are sliced. Oh, all this is already done. So she's just dumping. Mm-hmm, but she feels mm-hmm. included. She goes, do you mm-hmm. like my salad? Mm-hmm, I made mm-hmm. my salad tonight. Mm-hmm. I'm going to eat my salad. You know, it's because they're more likely to be a part of it. Mm-hmm, I also... Mm-hmm. and. People are going to get mad at me about this too. Do not use different (laughs) plates. Yeah. Because it's about that intentionality thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Put it on a plate, Mm -hmm. put a little fresh herbs on top, like make it look beautiful because they're going to be like, oh my gosh, this looks great. Like you're at a restaurant. And I think it's been a long time since one of my kids didn't clear their plates, but I also am very aware of serving sizes too. Yeah, and like I said, when you're a mom, really think about like their little fists. My five year old's fist is pretty tiny, Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. so
1: think about that um, because we were never taught that. I mean, I don't know if y'all were, but I definitely was never taught that, and I was eating, you know, told to eat this huge plate. I also. I don't ever serve food on a dining room on a dining and a dinner plate. I serve food on a salad plate.
0: I was going to ask you that. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's sufficient. It,
1: it's plenty, and if they yeah. if someone wants seconds, they're more than welcome to have seconds.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and you know, if you want to make your plate look fa- like your table look fancy, use that as I use a, di- a dinner table a dinner plate as like a charger. Mm-hmm. But I really use the sir, the salad plates. Mm-hmm. And you can have fun with them. You can, you know, get all different colors and sizes and stuff like that. That's and, you good. Know, and food is psychological. So when we look at that plate and it's completely oh, yeah. full and we eat it, we're like, oh, I'm good. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed this for me because I, I had been doing some emotional eating. And then just by transitioning those sizes, like... I feel full. Like I'm not, I'm not like asking for more. I feel like totally fine about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Oh my goodness. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I have so many things. Um, So I'm just going to read a portion from your, from your website, Kim. And, um, and just have you, have you share about that. So this is what I'm reading here. It says, known for her contagious energy, Chef Braveheart has become one of the top Indigenous entrepreneurial experts in North America. This dynamic speaker is on a mission to empower Indigenous youth and women by healing cultural trauma. By sharing her love of cooking and entrepreneurial genius, Chef Braveheart encourages others to discover peace and purpose. This is more about food, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean... Yeah. When I moved home to the reservation, um, I had started a new business called Painted Sky Management. It's a business management firm. And like I said, I was writing business plans and helping Mm -hmm. go through financing packaging and develop that, their businesses. But I realized even through that, there were so many women who had so much like fear Mm -hmm. and like apprehension. Yeah. Because of their historical trauma and things that they've experienced. And it prevented them from having the confidence to get to that next level.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I, I had that same fear when I launched my business is, yeah. you know, what do I not know? Um, but it came back to me of just that connection, that connection of spirituality and um, the way that I feel connected to my land and where I come from and sharing that with others Mm -hmm. And, you know, Pine Ridge is one of the poorest reservations in America, one of the poorest counties in America. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people are like, it's so poor, but when you're there and when you're a part of it and it's where you come from, it doesn't feel that way. It feels enriched of culture and family and connectedness. And a lot of that is surrounded around food. Um, and ceremony, and the ceremony of food, the ceremony of preparing for food. And I, I think that just what I had said earlier is that everyone wants to be cared for. Everybody wants to be seen and feel visible. And, you know, that that's my intention. And people are like, oh, she's a cook. Yeah, I'm a cook, but that's not really what I do. Yeah. Really, what I do is I show visibility of my people, um, our culture, our history to the masses. Mm-hmm. Because in South Dakota, it's different. Like, you're very much in front of, like, there's Native people here. But mm-hmm. in most of the states in America, there are a lot of people who don't even know that Native people exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's intense, you know, where yes. you're literally in it. I've been in areas where I'm speaking in Baltimore mm-hmm. and they're like, do you live in a teepee? And they're serious. They're not yeah. trying to be. A jerk yeah. or anything like that. They're like, "Wow, I you know I thought there were no native people left. I thought you were all wiped out." I'm like, "Oh, mm-hmm. despite despite the um, try of genocide, no, we still exist." <laughs> 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 um, and I think part of like part of that, and um, I have experienced a lot in my life. I am a cancer survivor. Um, I did not grow up with a mother. I you know I could tell you all the saddest stories mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. I have chosen to live a joyful life, um, and I choose it every day. And some days are really hard, but most of the time, I find joy and beauty in things. It may be really mundane. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cut a cute cucumber today, and when I opened the cucumber, it literally looked like a flower. And I showed all of I showed my children.
0: Like, <laughs> You're speaking that's, Jody's that's my language. language.
1: <laughs> Yeah, and I look and and I said, "Look at this beautiful cucumber! Like has a flower inside of it." And my kids were like, "Wow, can I have that in my lunch? That's so beautiful." Um, And so I think sometimes when life feels so big, and I feel like after you know this whole COVID Mm -hmm. situation, we it's so heavy. You know, it's Mm -hmm. so so heavy, and so reconnecting with like the little things that bring us joy. Yeah, And that's what I try to do. And anyone, any person that meets me, I think recognizes that.
2: Mm-hmm. We're, yeah, we're kindred spirits in that.
0: <laughs> I want to ask you about, I've since I saw this on Instagram, I've just been so curious. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with milkweed. I know that not everyone likes, you know, the, the multiple feelings about milkweed. I also recognize that um, they're great for the environment. I did not know that you could incorporate them into food. Had no idea. So can you talk to us about that? Do you, like, sure. do you eat it? Do you not eat it? Do you use it for cooking? Uh, I'm fascinated. Well, I definitely put it on the menu this week.
1: Um, mm-hmm. You know, traditionally our people consume milkweed um, as fiber. Okay. Um, so I've been trying to play with recipes. And I'll be very honest with you. I did this uh, buffalo wasna, um, which is a... Really, a preserved meat. It's dried buffalo uh, ground with dry with choke cherries, um, processed choke cherries, and um, into a like a dry like it's kind of dry, but it's delicious. And that's how our people survived all winter long. Mm. And so I made this. I I actually had my five year old process my milkweeds, take out the inside core, we rinse them off, and then I roasted them literally with just a little bit of salt, a little bit of olive oil.
0: And then I so just the in. pod?
1: Yeah. Emptied. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can't eat the inside. Um, and so you have to take the big seed out. Okay. Now. Yeah. Um, and it's beautiful. The inside, you, I, I think that you could probably, because it has so much fiber, I mm-hmm. think that you could probably make that into like yarn or something. I really do. I don't know enough, mm-hmm. but that's what it feels like is that there would be mm-hmm. a way to make to rope or yarn or something, um, and when okay, so when it first came out of the of the oven, it was delicious. It was like easy, you know, you could eat it. It had great mouth feel. Took a bite and it was fine. However, it dried <laughs> out. It dried out, and so when they took a bite, there would be. It was kind of chewy, and it was fibrous because of the oh, the, sure. the, the stringy the stringiness mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what I told people just to peel it away, so they still had a little bit of milkweed um, in that. But what then? What I ended up doing is with the dried milkweed pods, I made a flour, like actual, like ground flour, and oh. I put that and I put that in a salad dressing. Mm. Um, and so it was delicious. And I do think that people milkweed pods are great for the environment. They're great for restoring. Mm-hmm. Um, They're great mm-hmm. for your digestion. And, um, I think the more that you learn about, um, medicinal plants in our, in our, in your local area, um, the better for the environment, um, because you're more likely to fight gold mining, uranium mining, and other items that hurt the environment. Um, so you play with it. I mean, that's what yes. I did. And Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, right now it's hard because we're past the milk, milkweed season,
0: um. Mm-hmm. You know, you can normally harvest them in the like around the first week of July. Hmm. Well, that's what I was wondering. You're better. I mean, this is probably a ridiculous question, but I'm I am not um, good with food, so I have to ask the mundane questions. Um, you're harvesting them in summer when they are soft, right? Before yes. the seeds come out, they're no good. I'm assuming like this time of year when it's fall, they're opening up and seeding. They're, they're they're all dried out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but
1: harvest them, um, wipe them off. Like I would rinse them off, pat them dry, and then put them with one little paper towel and then in, um, sure. a freezer bag and put them in the freezer. And they're still, when you bring them out, they're not brown or
0: anything. They're beautiful. What do they taste like out of the oven? Um, is it like a cracker or a tortilla kind of, or it's kind of like a tortilla. Okay. That's what I'm Um, imagining. But like an earthy tortilla, you know, Um, it was very good actually. Could you use that as like a dip? Like, could you use it to dip? I think that if I roasted them
1: longer, you probably could.
0: I only roasted them for 10 Hmm. minutes Um, because I wanted
1: them to be stuffed. I was worried. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the future, instead of making them crunchier, I would actually like miss them probably with some water because they're a wet plant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what happened and why they got so fibrous is because they dried out too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would miss them before serving. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. I was really proud of the guests because they all tried it and gave it I a go, and I didn't think they would. Um, mm-hmm. But I was really, and it was also impressive. You know, you saw it on Instagram. People were like, oh yeah, oh. <laughs> oh. yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is good eye I candy. Of, I had a lot of shops um, reach out to me, and they're like, "You are such a badass." I would have <laughs> never of it like that. Um, so, we part that's part of the fun of like reclaiming of indigenous ingredients is we know that our people use them, but we may not have the teaching around it. So, we yeah. may have to figure it out ourselves and play with it a little
0: until we yeah, it. yeah, right, right. Our podcast tries to connect creative work and identifying with a place. So I want to talk to you just a little bit about that. Uh, When you are identifying with a place and a land that your work comes from, we want to recognize that we live in connection to a place, whether we know it or not, right? That we are intrinsically, everyone, connected to land. And Indigenous people have a lot to teach about that. What would you like to share with creatives who are trying to connect their work, whether they're, you know, chefs or artists or whatever, to the place that they are? Well, wherever you are on this continent, you are on an
1: ancestral indigenous lands. And so I think finding out um, what ancestral tribal lands are you're on is really important because you're learning about the people you com- that live there traditionally will help you have a little bit of, like, respect and connection. Um, for your creative process,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I also think for me, I'm always consuming ideas. Like when I'm out in the environment. Um, here, I live in Rapid City, and it and for me, it's language and culture connection to the land. So, like uh, Rapid City is called Miniluzaha in Lakota, which means rolling rapids. This the uh, rolling. Mm-hmm and mm-hmm. our sacred space where we come from, our creation story is Paha Sapa, the Black Hills and so for me it is intentional of where I live um, it is intentional <laughs> of where my shop is I, I mean, I have the ability to probably open a space anywhere in probably a large city, LA, New York mm-hmm. wherever, and be pretty successful um, but I have an intentionality of even, of creating space here of this is This is where I come from. This is where my people come from. This is where these ingredients have been passed down and passed down and passed down for multiple generations. And I think no matter where you are or what your cultural identity is or your ethnicity, learning about the indigenous people that where the land you reside on will help you feel more connected to the land. Mm -hmm. I think that it will help you create more space of home Um, and however you want to do that you know, however, Mm -hmm. um, I have a non, non non-native friend who is an incredible artist in Montana. And he asked me a very similar question and he did a lot of research. And what he decided is that when he was going to do his painting, he's a painter that he would, he would make an offering to the local tribe, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he bought pizza one night for a youth group, like, Mm -hmm. and he said, "It makes me feel like I there's balance. Is that even though I'm on the space that is, you know, not my territory traditionally, that I want the community and the people of this place to know that I respect them, I honor them, and I'm gr- grateful for being able to be here." Mm-hmm. I think reclaiming of some of that gratitude, and I try to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, when I do anything, I want a balance of not only am I having great success, but I am also contributing and giving back to my people and my community in a really, in a real way, not theoretical.
0: Yeah. 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 That's, that's a great answer. And that's, that's um, reality shaping for creatives like me. We're listening. Okay. Um, So I'm going to let you take one of those last ones there, Jody. We had just a couple um, questions that we pre-wrote for ourselves. I want to ask you about the Indigenous cooking community. So my family watched Next Level Chef and were just entranced by um, Piet. I think that was how you said her name, right? Yeah. Okay. I know um, the sous chef is very, having a a huge moment right now. Um, yep. We know so about you. What?
1: And, yeah.
0: Uh, so, talk works. to us about yeah. the Indigenous cooking community. Um, what should we know? Who should we know about? Who do you want to celebrate? Oh, well, what's Sean, exciting about it?
1: Sean Sherman is a dear friend. We did a lot of traveling with each other this summer um, and mentor. We've known each other for a very long time. And he had a huge impact on me actually opening he would say, you are talented enough, you are creative enough, just do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't want to, you know, he'd be mm-hmm. like, just do it. Um, and so the uh, chef community is actually pretty small, but we have some, as we're trying to do is that's why we're like, I'm doing a lot of indigenous youth class um, cooking classes, but um, I would definitely follow um, Tanya Brandt. Um, it's T A W Y okay. N A Brandt. she's out of Canada and she is going to be t- on top chef Canada and oh. she's inc- she's incredible um one of our other mentors who is a lovely lovely mentor sister and friend um, is Elena Terry um and her um she's out of Wisconsin incredibly talented um and then i would say um Oh, there's so many good good. I'm um, Justin Pino from the Southwest. He's incredible. His plating is divine and superb. Um I think Tokabe Ben from Tokabe from Tokabe is more of a fast restaurant, indigenous restaurant, but it's still high quality, high quality ingredients. Um and some traditional foods and the restaurant is called Tokabe. You can follow it on social media.
0: Okay. Um
1: um Hillel Elkohok is another one of my crew members. She's an incredible um, young um, chef out of Seattle, Washington. Uh, but I would say the community itself, there's probably about 25 um, to 30 Indigenous chefs. Oh, Crystal Wapapa, she is um, owns one of the only in- other Indigenous restaurants in the country hmm. out of Oakland, California, um, and it's Wapapa uh, Kitchen in Oakland. Hi. Yeah. And the community is very supportive. Um, mm-hmm. we're always like messaging and texting and being like, "Oh, I have this idea. What do you think about this idea?" And some of them may have already tried to process whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the milkweed pod thing was a group effort because people yeah. were like kind of freaked out about it. Yeah, Uh, you know they're like, you know, what if the what if a fiber like hurt someone's (laughs) throat and you know like we were all like processing it. I'm like, well, I'm gonna try it first. Like, okay, cool. So (laughs) uh, it's awesome because we're all and we're all from different tribes and different tribal teachings around food, and so we're learning from each other all the time Mm and different techniques Mm -hmm. and the community. We want more indigenous chefs. Mm -hmm. You know, people always say like how are you going to be like best friends with Sean Sherman? I'm like, he is a mentor for incredible, Mm -hmm. incredible chef. Mm -hmm. Um, He has only ever been loving and supporting and wants more indigenous chefs. And I, and I, he's passed that down to me. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if you, you know, I, we want more because, you know, how many Italian chefs are there in the world? How many are (laughs) so like, there's always room for one more. (laughs) Yeah, there doesn't need to be this um, competition. It really, and I feel like that um, in indigenous, in the indigenous chef world is there's probably some of it, but I don't participate um, because there's, we're not, I mean, we're less than 1% of the United States population. We are not in competition with each other. We Mm -hmm. are in competition with all the other chefs, Mm -hmm. you
0: know? Mm -hmm. So um, that's how I try to, that's how I see it. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and I would think that you want folks to, of all walks, to experience your food, right? And 100%. if there is more opportunity to do it, there's something about the human psyche that makes it easier to 100, right? give it a try.
1: Yes. I mean, just I, I honestly, you know what my goal would be in five years is that just like how you have Italian food night or taco night mm. or whatever, that you have indigenous food night. Mm-hmm. Like how cool mm-hmm. would that be? Where mm-hmm. people right. are like, oh, I'm eating buffalo and wild rice and, you know, a berry um, gla- glaze tonight with my di- with my kids at this dinner table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're learning about where that, that food comes from and the history of our people and the history of this land. I mean, how profound would that be? Right. You know, right. and that's my dream as a mother mm-hmm. and a chef is that's what I want is I want mm-hmm. moms everywhere preparing indigenous food for their children. And being Mm -hmm. able to say, hey, this comes from
2: our land. Isn't that cool?
1: You know? Yeah, Um,
2: Yeah. Kim, oh my goodness. So much goodness you've shared with us. We like to close our podcast with one last question that we ask of everybody. What is it that you believe you are here to do?
1: I think that I'm here to share our stories. and. You know, to see to for people of all walks of life to see that we are we exist
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that we are capable and powerful people that are have an enriched beauty and culture. And I feel like I I do that um, with not just my food, but I do that with my mothering.
0: Yeah,
1: and um, yeah, I think that's what I'm
0: here for. Thank you so much for being with us today. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was really fun.
2: Thanks for listening. We believe in creative work for the love of a place. Here's to doing our part to keep this place well-tended. Know of someone you'd love to hear from? Send us your ideas. Want to find out a little more about one of our guests? Follow Place Well Tended on Instagram.